Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. Last time, we talked about the start of armed conflict between the Danish and the HRE, and Mansfield's loss at Aldringen. And I did in that episode mentioning there was a rebellion that stopped Tilly and Wallenstein from advancing into Danish-held territory. So, starting this week, well, this week... I'm going to cover the Upper Austrian Rebellion. Due to recapitalization, Protestants in Upper Austria were willing to support a rebellion. People were fined a large amount of money and were asked to leave or convert if they weren't Catholic. However, this did create problems, which the local governor actually reduced the fines in order to try to calm down the tension, which somewhat worked, but somewhat didn't work. Maximilian also wasn't a fan of enforcing it too heavily, as he relied on the tax money that was coming from this area. The revolt's desires were a bit difficult to figure out due to the one who wrote them down officially may not have reflected their true goals. It's unreliable, so heads up, I don't know if it's 100% true. There's some solid facts you can find out about their motivations and their reasoning, but some of the details aren't exactly accurate, most likely. Some facts that I can say were the deadline for conversion to Catholicism had been extended to Eastern 1626, which meant that, you know, you had to leave or convert by that point. The people in the area were also complaining that the governor was putting religion over good governance, along with not dealing with real issues that were happening in the area. You know, oh, we're going to put this religious cause in front of some actual issues, like inflation was running rampant since, like, 1622, which was doing hell with the economy. People were also up in arms because... Tensions were also rising because schools and other leadership positions were getting taken over by Catholics, which just stirred more resentment, which, again, is creating like a boiling pot that is just creating more and more issues. The people even used the memory of the 1525 Peasant War, just with updated goals and weaponry, funnily enough, which the Peasant War didn't necessarily go well for the peasants, but it was a symbolic thing for them. This kind of reinforces how recatholization was a policy that created a lot of short-term issues that would bring out more tension along religious lines, which makes sense as it's recatholization, but it wasn't always the best short-term move, even if in the long term it did help out somewhat. The war accidentally began with a brawl against Bavarian soldiers in Lembach on May 17, 1626. Word of that spread, and around 40,000 people rose up throughout the region. They initially lacked artillery and cavalry, but were joined by the local burghers, which reinforced them with artillery and cavalry due to them being able to pay for it. The initial leaders were Stefan Feidinger and Christoph Zeller, who were actually brothers-in-laws, Wellinger coming along later. There was no central leadership, for the most part, as most nobility abstained from joining the revolts. They felt it would only fail and would hurt them in the long run. So without strong leadership, most rebels organized in smaller bands, which didn't always get along with each other, although that was less... They fought each other more, they just didn't always work together. The one theme across all of them was there was demand for more liberties and that recolonization needed to stop or be reduced severely, as this was destroying people's lives, forcing them to leave, or just removing them from positions of power or just their jobs, such as like teachers. The rebellion was concentrated in the northwest corner of Upper Austria on both sides of the Danube near the Bavarian border. The governor, Herberstorf, who was the name of the governor from earlier I mentioned, marched out with troops to put down a rebellion but he was ambushed by Zeller at Puerbach, and they were massacred, but Herberstorf managed to escape to, Li to Linz. However, people in the town had little sympathy for the governor, as many of them were sympathetic to the rebels. Not enough to, like, get him killed or, like, a major threat in the town, but always tension there. 
However, Zeller and Fadinger made a critical error in that they tried to gather more support from the people, which lost the momentum that was on their side. This was a mistake because they needed to keep the momentum up and fight battles and keep that going. Otherwise, they would lose one of their advantages, which was a problem because they were a ragtag army and the people they're facing, while outnumbered, would have higher quality troops, more support, that sort of thing. Herberstorff actually opened talks on May 25th, which the rebels were receptive to as they weren't just kill everyone. They had a specific goal, and if they could do it without bloodshed, many of them would do it. The ultimate condition that came down was the rebels would pay the cost for rebelling, which was not necessarily in lies, but more just in raw money, but they would get religious tolerance out of that. These people weren't trying to overthrow those in charge, they just felt unjustly punished for their religion, which I can understand. This negotiation failed because there was constant skirmishing in which both Zeller and Fadinger were killed, who Wellinger came in to replace Fadinger, who died first. The rebels run Linz also experienced minor losses against Imperial Columns from Bavaria, which further reduced morale, and the loss of momentum really did hurt them, especially when the enemy could gather more experienced troops. Maximilian assembled around 8,000 troops, half of them being recruits. They advanced over the Danube on September 18th, but were pushed back by the rebels in the mountains. Maximilian was then forced to call in reinforcements from General Pappenheim, who relieved Linz, beating back the rebels in four battles around the southern bank of the Danube. He killed or captured 12,000 rebels with an army of 6,000 or so. The rebels did have the numbers, but were disorganized and had less experienced troops, which did not help them. And with the death of most of the leaders, resistance collapsed, which allowed the Imperials to arrest 100 alleged leaders of the revolts, and many of the nobility that were involved or were, say, the sidelines, were not arrested or couldn't be charged with anything because there was no real way to accuse them other than circumstantial evidence. Only Wellinger was executed, as there was enough evidence against him, and Fadinger's corpse was even dug up and hung as a warning sign. That is not to say, though, that there was a decent result from this. Ferdinand realized that imposing more fines and recolonization on the region would just create more rebellion, so he held out on enforcing those two things until 1631, when things were calmer. Well, hopefully calmer, at least. Granted, it's a short-term thing, but the people were under less oppressive force after the rebellion. The rebellion in total was very prototypical peasant revolts, with the usual failings. They liked organization, centralization, and support, which means they were easy pickings for more experienced armies and armies from governments. If they had, had been more organized, been more structurally organized especially, they might have done better, although probably not, seeing that Tilly and Wallenstein could be called in if things got bad enough. Peasant revolts are also heavily dependent on leadership, which meant the loss of major leaders could destroy a cause, like how it happened here. The rebellion represented a threat against the back lines of Wallenstein and Tilly in their war against the Danish, which is why they had to hold off on offensive operations until this revolt was put down. And in the end, it did have a point in showing Ferdinand that people weren't responding to his program as well as he expected and could cause problems if he really tried to heavily enforce it, especially in areas that were more religiously divided. It's harder to enforce that when the enemy is at your gate, or at least enemy can be th could threaten your gate. However, but with the Danish, they were also not having the easiest time either. One issue Christian ran into was how to get German princes to back him. He had already shown he was not doing well militarily, and 
many nobility were critical of some of his subordinates. He needed the support of Hessen to go south and Brandenburg to go east. However, Hessen demanded a Danish victory, while Brandenburg did not look kindly on Mansfield involvement in the war, which last episode was Aldrigan, which was in Brandenburg territory. And in Brandenburg, the main issue there was a conflict between Calvinists and Lutherans. The Calvinists on the council of the town supported Denmark on the basis of this, this as a holy war, but the opposition was led by Count Adam Schwarzenberg, who actually was a Catholic, and they were more skeptical of the war, being mainly native of Lutherans. Schwarzenberg thought the emperor would reward him and them if they supported the emperor, or at least didn't help the Danish, whereas the Lutherans didn't really support the whole notion of a holy war. Schwarzenberg was supported by the fact that Wallenstein had already won a battle, and Tilly had also won a battle, which put more pressure on Brandenburg to pick a side or at least support the Imperials, meaning like supplies and the like. Also, Johann George of Saxony had already given permission to the Imperials to cross his territory if Mansfield advanced east, which again gave them another advantage which the Danish were having trouble dealing with. Mansfield, however, popped up like a wild card with a rebuilt army of 10,000, which was a lot faster than everyone expected, and especially because he was backed by around 7,000 Danes, he left Havelberg on July 11th and skirted around Berlin to the north. He reached Odair, where he turned to face south to enter Silesia by the 20th of July, covering around 250 kilometers in 11 days or so, which is impressive. Germany is not a small country. The defenders at Silesia crumbled, allowing him to overrun the province, loot and pillage, that sort of thing, but it also opened up the route to Hungary, which offered a chance for Hungary to get involved in the war again. Bethan had joined the Hague Alliance, which his standing had improved after he married George Wilhelm of Brandenburg's daughter, Katharina, in March of 1626, so that could have been a boon to the Danish. And Wallenstein had not expected Mansfield to recover so quickly, which showed that Mansfield was, again, adaptable and really, really not put down by defeat, as shown by his multiple defeats with the Paladins and the like. Wallenstein was in Berlin and did not want to weaken their power base there, especially by infringing on their neutrality at the time. So he waited for three weeks before he moved to counter Mansfield's true goal to the south, because he didn't realize what his goal was until after he started heading south. Mansfield, that is. He left with around 20,000 troops, leaving another 16,000 behind to guard the area around Berlin and where he was encamping. But he was more confident in acting because he knew that his back lines were clear due to the revolt being put down, or at least in under control at that point. And with Mansfield being a threat, Wallenstein knew he had to act and stop him from potentially opening up another front in the war. I am impressed by the fact that Mansfield was able to bounce back so quickly from a defeat like that at Aldringen, so kudos to him. And Hungarian support would be bad for the Imperials, because that would mean they'd have to position men on another front in order to block them, which meant they'd have to move troops from the war against the Danish, or on the Danish front, to that other front. Either that, or draw upon more troops which meant more money, and that meant also Tilly or Wallenstein could be pulled from one of them to the other front. Historically, wars from two or more fronts tended to get very not fun. The key example being Germany versus Russia and the other allies on the western side of France. The eastern front and the western front. It didn't go well for them. And this really showed that there was an ebb and flow to war. It wasn't always one side of the advantage and another side doesn't have the advantage. It would fluctuate. And as we will continue to follow this, the war will go up and down for everyone, including new people. Although, not for a while. I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to cover the Battle of Luther and Mansfield stuff. There will be social media links in the description box, or on the links themselves, if you go to the certain places. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon, and please review and spread the word. And I'll see you guys next time.